Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. He satisfies your desires with good things, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbour his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve, or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it and it is gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children, with those who keep his covenant and remember to obey his precepts. The Lord has established his throne in heaven, and his kingdom rules over all. Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Megan. Good morning. And vive la France indeed, who are my team in the HT office sweepstake. So do us all a favor. Myself and Ollie, allez les bleus. Um, good morning. Part one last week, our mini series on worship, especially worship in song. Part two today. Important to get the second half right, isn't it, Gareth? <laughs> Too easy. Um, I want to talk a little bit today about worship and feelings, or worship and emotions. I have been, I must confess, a little bit of an emotional wreck this week from the highs of the World Cup semi-final to come and dreaming of it coming home to that wonderful story, all of those boys in that cave getting out, wasn't that amazing? Um, to this lovely weather. And then to see my balloon of emotional well-being punctured by the dual scissor of Boris and Mario Mandzukic bringing us back down to earth, up and down like a yo-yo. And that's what our emotions are like sometimes, isn't it? Um, I want to talk a little bit about emotions and worship, feelings and worship. First, another reading. This time not from the scriptures, but from the book of the Metro newspaper. 27th of April, 2010. Here's what it says. A nautical novice who thought he was sailing around the British coast turned out to be repeatedly circling a small island just off the coast of Kent. Everyone heard this? Anyone heard this story? The man was rescued by a lifeboat crew after he ran out of fuel off the Isle of Sheppey, who sure he had been hugging all day and night. Lifeboat volunteer Tom Ware said, I can imagine the voice in which he, read, he, he, he spoke this, this press release. He said, this man was using a road map to navigate the sea and had no provisions. 
because he had no chart and he didn't even know what navigational charts were, his general principle was to keep the land on his right, except that he didn't realize Sheppey was an island. <laughs> Isn't that brilliant? There's something kind of quintessentially British, I feel, about you've got to admire the guy, you know? He's intrepid, um, but mixed with just being daft as a brush. You know, you think, he thought he was going to sail this wonderful shore. He was imagining himself traversing up the East Coast, up to the fjords of the highlands, over the top to Blackpool Pleasure Beach, down to the beauty of the Lizard Peninsula, you know, all around the country. And he's just sailing around going, this isn't what I expected. This all looks a bit samey again and again until he just runs out of fuel. And I, yeah, I remember when I uh, first became a Christian, first realized that God was, was real. He was actually there, that he loved me. Um, I, remember, I remember so vividly the emotion. Uh, the words that were in my head were just in that, in that week. I'll never be bored again. I'll never be bored again. I was like, whenever I've got nothing to do, I can speak to God. He loves me. He speaks to me. He's chosen me. This is amazing. You know, I don't need Xboxes and things like that. I'm never going to be bored again. It felt so real as I set off sailing that shore of God, traversing the ups and downs of his, his amazing character and his wonder and the awe and the fear and the love and the joy. I'll never be bored again. But it's not as simple as that, is it? Following the Lord. It doesn't always feel that way. Sometimes, sometimes it feels a little bit more like around the same island again and again and seeing the same stuff. And, you know, there are loads of reasons for that. Um, I'm going to go into a couple of them. But sometimes when we find ourselves circling around that island, you know, just a bit bored, a bit bored with the worship of God. You know, if we stay there for a long time, it becomes kind of like a loveless marriage. And there's nothing worse than a loveless marriage, is there? Still got the legal documentation. Still do a bit of the same stuff, but that fire of devotion and affection has just gone. It's dry. Or maybe we feel a bit like those Ephesians we heard about a few weeks ago in our series on, on Revelation. And they believe all the right stuff. He commends their doctrine. He even commends their deeds. And doctrine and deeds are important. But then what does he say? This I have against you. You've abandoned your first love. The one thing you didn't get right is the one thing I asked you to get right from which everything else springs. They didn't stir their hearts anymore. They'd abandoned love, that affection to Jesus. And when we do that, following him, it's just boring. We just go around in a circle. You know, why? Why do we get there? Maybe you can relate to that feeling. We've all been there. Um, and there are a couple of reasons. The, one, the first one is so simple. I just want to hit it now and get it out of the way, which is a question of obedience. If the Holy Spirit has asked us to do something, or the word of God has revealed to us that we should do something, we ain't doing it. Following God is going to be a miserable exercise for us. You know, Psalm 32, when I kept silent, your hand was heavy upon me. You know what it's like to feel God's hand heavy upon you? Saying, come back in, come back. I'm trying to convince you there's more for you than Sheppy the whole time. My strength was sapped, says David elsewhere, in the, as in the heat of summer. So if you're there today, and you're feeling bored in your walk with him and your worship of him, but you know he's asked you to do something and you haven't done it, or he's asked you not to do something and you're doing it, then don't, don't listen to the rest of this. There's only one thing that you can do, and that's run to him 
and say, Lord, I'm not going to be here anymore. I want more, and I'll do whatever it takes. But for most of us, it's a little more complicated than that because the relationship between our feelings and our faith is pretty complex, isn't it? Um, it's not a mechanical thing. You know, our feelings are affected by so many things, by trauma, by exhaustion, uh, by illness, and by personality, by brain chemistry. These things don't change when we get saved. Uh, we keep them. And sometimes when we have to learn to worship through not feeling a thing, you know, that's incredibly precious to God. Um, but even more than that, those things that affect our feelings, normal, everyday Christianity. Today, right here, July 15th, uh, 2018, there is always a shortfall between our perception, our spiritual perception of who God is, what he's done, what we believe in this book, and our worshipful affection, what we feel. There's always a shortfall, always between our spiritual perception and our worshipful affection. You know, I honestly believe that right here, we are dwelling in the presence of the Lord, the Holy One, the one who created the world. I believe that he lives in me. If you honestly ask me what I feel right now, it's that I would quite like a chocolate croissant. Someone say amen. You know, because the link between what we believe, our theology, and honestly believe and truly believe, you know, sincerely, and what we feel, it's not, it's not a simple one. Um, and I believe that everyday worship, especially sung worship, what we just did then, involves navigating this shortfall, this shortfall between what we believe sincerely and really what we feel and experience and know, our perception and our affection. You know, how do we do that? What are the navigational charts that we have? What's the fuel that's going to stop us from, from circling in the everyday of learning to navigate this. Three things, Psalm 103, in stirring the heart. That's why I've called this worship stirring the heart. Three things that are going to help us. Engaging the will, engaging the mind, engaging the body. Engaging the will, engaging the mind, engaging the body. Let me just pray. So Lord, we say, as we've just sung, there is no one like you. Nor has there ever been, nor will there ever be. Lord, you are great and greatly to be praised. We want to sail the shore of God today. Lord, you have called us to be not just workers for you, but lovers of you. So Lord, would we stir our hearts and whose spirit would you partner with us as we do that to love you more. Amen. Amen. Stirring the will. Verses 1 and 2, praise the Lord or bless the Lord on my soul. All my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord on my soul and forget not his benefits. Why is David starting this way? I would like to suggest to us it's because his inmost being didn't naturally want to praise the Lord that day. I'd like to suggest he's talking about not forgetting the benefits because he had forgotten the benefits of the Lord. He didn't feel like worshipping. Anyone relate? Um, it's not that his theology was defective, King David pretty good theologically. It's not that probably, as far as we know, there was some great sin in his life, because we usually find out about it, poor old David, when there is. It's just that he came in with that everyday thing that we all feel, that shortfall between what we believe, what we believe and what we feel. So what does he do when he says this, bless the Lord of my soul? He engages the will. David makes a decision of the will to acknowledge the way that he feels. He doesn't repress it. 
but he decides he will not let his worship be defined by his feelings. He acknowledges his feelings, but he determines he won't let his worship be defined by them. Let's dig into this a bit. Um, A few years ago, seven years ago, I was at a wedding with my now wife, then not, uh, of good friends of ours, a wedding of wonderful Christian believers, good friends of ours. Um, And we got to the sung worship element of the service, and I looked through the song sheet, and what was the first song? It was In Christ Alone, you know that wonderful hymn full of beautiful doctrine. Um, Now, you might not know this, but you can have this tip for free from a professional worship pastor that is actually saying somewhere in the Bible that if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you must have the hymn in Christ alone at your wedding. I know, because I've done a lot of them, okay? It's that perfect intersection of being accessible, easy to sing tune, and also uplifting, wonderful doctrine. You can have that one for free. So what do I do when I see it's here? I lean over to my wife and say, oh, great, here we go again. In Christ alone. What a surprise. And so she then turns to me and says, make it mean something. Make it mean something. What does that tell us apart from that? My wife is a little intimidating at times. No, she's not. If you know her, you know that that's, that's not in the least true. That my wife is very wise. Sometimes worship involves determining to make it mean something. You know, a choice of saying, I feel this way. This is how I've come in, and I'm not going to listen to how I've come in today. You know, David doesn't come in feeling meaningful and passionate, but he determines to try and make it mean something. John Piper calls this about this passage self-prodding. David's self-prodding. I love that because it implies that quite a lot of the time we prod other people, which I don't really do, but sometimes you've got to self-prod. Sometimes you've got to turn on yourself and say, self, make it mean something. Such a simple thing to do at the start of our worship. You know, it sounds like worship 101. Don't even bother to write it down, but stay with me for a second because I think this is a particular danger for us a particular danger for us in our kind of church. Why? Well, we have, we're not just Christians, oh no, we are charismatic Christians. We're advanced level. And uh, we have, one of the great things that the charismatic movement has given us is a true biblical high view of the Holy Spirit and what he does. You know, that's that's why we, we do what we do. We believe the Holy Spirit can do what he wants when he wants. He doesn't need our permission to do that. We have a very high view of the the Holy Spirit. But if we're not careful, this can lead to passivity in worship. No self-prodding. Because we can make the Holy Spirit's undeniable, irreversible activity mutually exclusive with my activity, my work, my partnership with him. And it just becomes about what the Holy Spirit's going to do. And if he's not going to do it, then I'm not going to do it. Instead of bless the Lord on my soul. You know, this, is, this passivity in worship, as I think about it, is one of our main temptations. There are two kind of prongs to it. One is that we are passive to our feelings. We're passive to our feelings. You know, we wait for the Holy Spirit to change our feelings. And we look around. Perhaps you do this in worship. We see some people going for it. And we think, well, I don't feel like that. So I can't engage like that. I used to think this all the time. All the time. And maybe we even use phrases like wait upon the Lord, phrases which are good and biblical, but we equate that phrase with being passive and emptying our minds, and then God will overrule the way that I feel. But the Holy Spirit doesn't usually work like that. The Holy Spirit partners with me as I set my heart to press into him. He doesn't usually overrule my emotions. 
He waits to see what I want to do. I'm waiting on him sometimes, and he's waiting on me to say, I don't want to circle this island anymore. I want more of you. I realized how deep this went in my heart. I was reading the scripture, famous scripture recently, from Second Chronicles. Do you know this scripture? The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, looking for those who are fully committed to him, that he might strengthen them. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth, looking to strengthen those who are fully committed to him. Do you know this scripture? I'm reading this at my own in the morning, and I pray, oh Lord, make me fully committed to you. Help me be fully committed to you. And straight away, whether it was the Lord or just my own common sense saying, no, be fully committed to me, and I will strengthen you. There are some things that I can't do, says the Lord. I can't make you fully committed to me, but if you commit to it, if you prod yourself, I will help you. I will strengthen you. And it's true there is no love for the Lord without the Holy Spirit. Of course that's true. But the normal ways that he partners with us as we engage our will. That's the first temptation to being passive, to rely on a feeling or wait for a feeling. Second is to wait for a form of worship, a feeling and a form or a style or a particular look or sound. This is, this is one of the ways passivity most comes out in sung worship in, in our communities. Um, we make worship about a certain form, a certain song, a certain volume, a certain selection of instruments, a certain type of song, a ton of stuff which is nowhere to be found in the New Testament. And we say, unless it is like this, I will not bless the Lord. I will not worship unless all of these things are ticked. You know, we're not talking about singing horribly heterodox doctrine here. We're talking about things the Bible doesn't even speak about. Things I got sent, I think I referred to this last week in an article someone sent me, why I didn't worship when I came to your church, was the title of the article. Why I didn't worship when I came to your church. You might as well just take Psalm 103 out of your Bible and tear it down the middle. If you're going to write an article like that and say, I didn't worship because it was too loud or too quiet or too dim or too bright or the songs were too written in-house or the songs were too written outside so there was no authentic creative expression coming from the church, you know, whatever you want. Passive, 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 passive worship versus David. I'm going to worship however I feel. If this worship leader sucks, which fortunately here, hopefully we don't, I'm going to worship because otherwise I'm going to circle this island forever, coming up with excuses about the way that I came in today or the way the songs are done or the kind of instruments we have. So we're not going to wait for the God to do something. We're going to press into him. We're not going to circle the island today. And just a quick point. This is why I love songs that we sing here, oldie but goodie. I will worship with all of my heart. I will praise you with all of my strength. Or I will love you, Lord my God. I won't be overwhelmed. There's a place for this, this pressing in of the will, right? Um, and it's as important as other songs that we sing, like Holy Spirit, set a fire in my heart. Let it overflow. You know, that, that's really important because there is no fire without the Holy Spirit. But just because the Spirit puts the fire there doesn't mean you have no impact on how hot the fire burns. So for every one song we sing, Spirit like a fire, we need to like sing another one. I'm going to kindle a fire in my heart. How does David do that? How does he set a fire? He engages his mind. He engages his mind. First the will, then the mind. First, what does David not do? He doesn't say, doesn't matter how I feel. Feelings aren't important. So who cares? It's fine not for me to not feel love for the Lord, for me to not 
feel affection for him today. That's not what he says. Now, this is really nuanced here, so hear my nuance. Um, there are tons of examples in the scriptures where people worship without feeling a jot, nothing. Or they worship when they're feeling in the worst possible place. And those examples are so evidently incredibly precious to God. In fact, I would say more precious than when I'm feeling overjoyed. So David walks this tension. He's got this expansive movement of worship saying, I'm not going to settle for this. Like, I don't just want to give him my voice. I want to give him my body, my emotions, my heart. He's determined to press in there. And yet he's also ready to feel not a thing because our feelings are not infallible, are they? They're affected by all this other stuff. They don't just go in line with what we believe. And he's saying, if nothing comes, I'm still going to self-prod and do it anyway. But he does address it. The second thing, he doesn't ask God to bypass or overrule his emotions and force joy upon him. He doesn't wait upon the Lord and say, come on then, Lord, change my feeling, and then I'm going to engage. Make me feel more worshipful. In fact, and this is interesting, isn't it? He acknowledges his lack of emotion, but he doesn't directly address or focus upon it in this psalm. Because you don't change your feeling by focusing on your feelings or lack thereof. You don't change feelings by focusing on Feelings. Feelings come as a result of other things, right? Or they don't come because the other things are not there. So he doesn't sit there going, come on, come on, worship, just come, feel more love, feel more joy. That would be like trying to make smoke instead of making a fire which creates smoke. You see what I mean? Feelings come as a result of something else. Quick example here. I, at various points in my life, have done battle with anxiety, and usually this has very little impact on my life except making me a little better at doing risk assessments than the average person because I can see everything that's going to go wrong. Um, but just two or three times, it's been cri really crippling for me. And uh, I remember in those times praying to the Lord, take this feeling away. I hate it. It's painful. I don't understand it. You're my father. Like, take it away. That's a, that's a good thing to pray. We've got to pray that. Remember last week? Tell God how you feel. But the interesting thing I've noticed is that he almost never does it. He almost never does it. He tells me he's with me, but he never makes the feeling disappear like that. Why is that? Because he's after something way deeper. Why do I feel that way? What's the fire that the smoke is, is coming from? And for me, not a coincidence that it began here in this cathedral of perfectionism. Three years at Cambridge University will do that to people. They don't educate you in that stuff, how to love God with your mind. Um, so you have to think through that, pray through it. Now, it's not always a reason behind it. Oh, this is why. I no, sometimes we just go haywire our brains. My brain just does that. But nevertheless, the Lord really by bypasses my feelings because he's after the fire that's making the smoke. So here's David's argument. He says his lack of feeling is there because something else is not there. What is that thing? Forget not his benefits. He's forgotten the benefits of the Lord. Do you see that? He's forgotten the benefits, and he's saying the reason I'm not naturally feeling overwhelmed with joy in the Lord, just like when we come into church in the morning, often we don't feel overwhelmed with joy in the Lord, even though we believe that he is here, is because I've forgotten, I haven't called to mind and heart the benefits, the wonderful benefits of knowing the Lord. And this is normal. Like I said, this is every day. We are forgetting machines. We're machines of forgetfulness of what the Lord has done for him and who he is. God can do an incredible thing for me. He can speak to me. He can show me amazing things in his word. He can save my best friend. And then the next day, I'll forget, has God even ever done anything for me? Just like those Israelites, remember what they said in the desert? Is the Lord really among us? You think, what? 
If I had seen what you'd seen, I would not be asking that question, but I would. Because we're not hard drives for storing God's goodness in our lives. We're forgetting machines. We're leaking barrels. And we need to top up that barrel of our belief in God's faithfulness, of our forgetting, not forgetting his benefits. And when we come to worship, like we did here, we're topping up the barrel. It's going to leak when we leave this place. But then we'll open his word tomorrow and we'll see more of the benefits of knowing him. And we'll top it up that little bit more. But friends, we are leaking barrels. And we need topping up. So what does he do? He reminds himself. He partners with the Holy Spirit in preaching, singing, speaking truth to his mind. Some of these amazing examples in Psalm 103. I just imagine him coming in thinking, God is just a hard taskmaster. He's that kind of God. But then he says to himself, as a father, as a father has compassion on his children, the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. What kind of God is like a father who loves his children, that fierce, protective, tender love? Maybe he's thinking then, oh, God's just going to let me off. That's the best case scenario. You know, I've messed up big time, and David did. Maybe I can convince God to let me off and get off scot-free. But it's so much better than that, the gospel, isn't it? So he says, he redeems my life from the pit, raises me out of my sin. But then what? He crowns me. He crowns me with love and compassion. Who does this? to people who offend them, who shame them, who sin against them, who doesn't just say, I forgive you, but then crowns them like royalty. And then in these verses, he heals all my diseases. And here David thinks about the times that the Lord has stepped into his life and directly intervened in his health and those of others. And then I wonder, I wonder if his mind goes back to his own son, his own son, who he couldn't save through fasting and praying, but passed away in, in childhood. And he remembers that one day, one day there will be a time, every disease, every disease will be gone. And God will wipe away every tear. And as C.S. Lewis says, everything sad will be made untrue. He will heal every disease. So he stirs his heart, doesn't he? By reminding himself of reality. And this is an essential skill we need to learn to stir our hearts. It's not mechanical, but it's biblical. Partnering with the Holy Spirit in speaking to yourself. Partnering with the Holy Spirit in speaking to yourself. And I can't do any better than the venerable Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones at this point, who I discovered here at HT at a Linkhouse book sale many years ago. Um, here's what he says. We allow ourself to talk to us instead of talking to ourself. David stands up and says, self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. I will remind you. The main art in the matter of spiritual living, this is a big claim. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You take yourself in hand, address yourself, preach to yourself, question yourself, say to your soul, why art thou cast down? Why art thou disquieted? Upbraid yourself, condemn yourself if needs be, exhort yourself and say to yourself, hope thou in God. And then go on to remind yourself of God, who he is, what he is and what he's done and pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note. I love this. Defy yourself. Defy yourself. Can you do that? Defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world. And say with this man, I will yet praise him. This is not self-help, and neither is it repression, right? It's not self-help because 
we can think about these things, but only the Holy Spirit can kindle that fire in us, can set fire to the fuel we pour out. It's all, it's all through him. And secondly, it's not repression, because we're not pushing reality away of how we feel. We're exposing ourselves to the reality that we believe, right? We're exposing our souls, which are forgetting. Our souls are repressing the goodness of God every day, right? Just me? I wake up and my soul has repressed the glory of God that I know and believe. So I need to expose it to reality. And that's what David does. So what would you say to yourself today about the Lord? What would you say to yourself in how you came in here about the Lord? How would you light a fire in yourself today? If you didn't wait for the Holy Spirit to do it for you and bypass you, what would you say to yourself about the reasons you have for hope? Hope in the Lord. How would you light a fire in yourself, even when the feelings aren't there again and again, and you just feel like you're circling that island? What do we need to remember today? You know, was there a time? Can you remember a time in your life that you loved the Lord more than today? Can you remember a time when you would wake up and he'd be the first thing on your mind? Can you remember a time when you longed just to open his word, discover more about him? Can you remember that time? Maybe you feel like you're, you're like that part of the church of Ephesians now. You remember, but now the love is, is a little bit dry. You know, life will do that to you, won't it? It's not that you intentionally do that. Just getting up, just doing the same job, getting the kids up. These things will do that. And suddenly we realize we're circling and we need to remember. So the Holy Spirit usually waits for us to begin that conversation each day and say, I want more, I want more. And then he'll do what we can't do. Briefly, two ways that sung worship helps us in this. The first is remembrance. You know, when I first did my year nine maths, I'm not a gifted mathematician. And when I first did maths in year nine, the only thing I remember is a little ditty that my maths teacher gave me, how to learn Pythagoras theorem. Okay, I couldn't even tell you why you would need to use that, but I remember the ditty. In fact, I'll, I'll, sing it, I'll sing it for you. Maybe those of you who are professional mathematicians, you might find this helpful. It goes like this. The square of the hypotenuse of the right triangle is equal to the sum of the square on the two adjacent sides. <laughs> That's good, isn't it? I mean, it's, thank you, yeah. The, the tune is horrendously boring and terrible, but for some reason I remember that when I don't remember anything else about maths, and that's because music helps us do that, right? There are times you're going to have to remember some of these things in Psalm 103, um, but you'll remember them in a song more than you will if they're just prose. But it's more than just a cognitive remembering, isn't it? It's emotional. It's connecting it with our deepest heart. That's why... When I, I read, there in the ground his body lay, light of the world by darkness slain, then bursting forth in glorious day, up from the grave he rose again. It feels different to if I sing it. I'm not going to sing it. I've already sung once in this point. But you want to punch the air when you sing it, right? Of course you do. Because it puts our emotions in the proper place. It's not a mechanical thing. Sometimes it doesn't work. Sometimes we come in a different way. Sometimes we don't feel anything. But that's what this is designed to do. We don't have to be scared of the way music works emotionally. What we're doing here is putting our emotions in the place they were designed for. And that's a discipline. That involves an act of the will, an act of the mind, stirring the heart. Um, so that's why sometimes we have these lyrical, complex, beautiful songs in the scriptures, right? But sometimes we have simple, repetitive songs, right? In the scriptures and up here. 
And that's because the second thing, remembrance and meditation. Sung worship helps us meditate. It helps us make that connection, reduce that shortfall between what we believe and what we feel. You know, if you don't like simple repetitive songs or you think that they're just a product of contemporary worship, then may I kindly suggest that you read the Bible because there are tons of them in there. The Lord is good and his love endures forever comes up a lot of times in the Bible, sometimes 20 times in a row. Tells us that the angels are singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. He was in his nest to come for millennia. For some reason, it doesn't get boring to them. How come? It's because sometimes we need to chew over the stuff we sing. Can you sing something like as the Lord has compassion on his children, like, like a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him? Can you sing that and then just move on to the next verse? Sometimes we've got to chew it over, and that's what David's doing here, right? He doesn't just say, thank you for the gospel, you've saved me. He chews it over with each line. He eats it, he digests it. He makes it personal to him. He thinks back to things in his life, how this has happened, right? So it's not mindless when we repeat, it's mindful. We're actively filling our minds with the personal and the corporate goodness of God. Maybe that's why David's quiet time is not always very quiet. He loves to use music to do this because he wakes up and his barrel's empty. Sometimes what you need then is to sit in silence and sometimes you need a cacophony of the praise of God. And I recommend it to you heartily when you wake up and want to engage with the Lord in the morning as well as a good dose of Silence and solitude. So two types, remembrance, meditation, and they're both involving being active. Writing around the card, if you remember last week, we've got to do that if we want to use it how the Bible says we can. Okay, third thing, final thing, briefly. We engage the will, we engage the mind, and we engage the body. We engage the body, and I'm including the voice here. Okay, I'm cheekily, now I've got you this far, I'm going to jump outside Psalm 103, and instead use as my reference point the entire Bible and indeed many of the rest of the Psalms. Every example you will find of worship that honors the Lord and that blesses him is physical in some way, almost every. We think of David dancing before the Lord. We think of the woman with the jar breaking it before Christ, kneeling, how physical, almost sensual that worship is. You know, and that the other woman who, who washes his feet and dries them with her hair, it's so physically expressive as well as exhortations in the psalm raise your hands all you nations shout to God why why is it like this in the scriptures because I don't know about you but I don't always feel like doing that very much um, it's partly a statement of God's worth by these worshipers and I, I think this is a lot of it for David too it's a statement of his worth to give him not just voice not just heart but body too Simon Ponsonby says the question we ask is not to express or not express in worship. That's not the question. Because everyone who worships is expressing something. Everyone who worships is expressing something. The question is, what are you expressing? What are you expressing? But there's another side to this stirring of the heart using the body, worshiping God with our bodies. And that's this. The body and the voice is a primary tool that God has given you and I to stir our hearts the body is a primary tool God has given you and I to stir our hearts. You know, the place of the body in worship, so little understood and taught on, because we're nervous of talking about it. And also because we know the heart is primary, right? Like God cares more about our hearts than our bodies. Please nod at me, because it means that you've read the scriptures and you know that is true. The Lord looks at the outward appearance. Uh, the, <laughs> God, 
<laughs> Forgive me, Father. Um, Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Thank you. Uh, but I remember in student house party a few years ago, speaking to this uh, lady in the kitchen. And um, she said to me, I, you know, I, I love God. I love God. I do. I love him in my heart. But why do I have to speak it out loud? Like, it's just embarrassing. You know, speaking, I love you, love you, God. Like, it's just, ah, something about it just makes me cringe, kind of how I feel when I first found it hard to say I love you to my parents. It's just, ugh, it makes my skin crawl. Um, so why, why do I have to say it, she said. Um, and I thought to myself, a couple of things. I mean, first, what would my marriage be like if I knew that I loved my wife, but I never told her? She knows. It's in my heart. She knows. I don't need to speak that to her. It would be terrible, wouldn't it? But the other thing is that when you speak something out, it makes it real in a fresh way. When you make your praise physical, voice or body, it makes it real. I know that we know that God is here, that he really died for us, that he really rose from the dead. But sometimes it just doesn't feel real in the same way as my headache or the sandwich I'm eating or the noise that comes from a word. But when I speak it or I put it on my body, it makes it feel more real because I believe that it is real. And on the last day of the house party, I had the joy of watching that girl stood up and say, I love you, Jesus. I was, and anyone who thinks that was irrelevant because she knew it in her heart anyway wasn't there. The things that were happening in her heart as she put it on her body, life-changing. Her heart was stirred and so was mine. This is why David says in Psalm 40, I proclaim your saving acts. In the great assembly, I do not seal my lips, Lord, as you know. I do not hide your righteousness in my heart. There's a way you can know God's righteousness in your heart, but hide it. Isn't that interesting? I speak of your faithfulness and your saving help. Here's an interesting one. I do not conceal your love and your faithfulness from the great assembly of your people. You can know God's righteousness in your heart, but conceal it from the person sitting next to you. That's interesting, isn't it? And that's why... When we have space in worship, like Angus provided a bit of it earlier, there's just music playing or there's no words on a screen. Like I use that as space to speak and sing out, hopefully in a non-distracting way, to focus me, to stir my heart, what the Lord has done for me. But more than the voice, the whole body functions this way, and I'll come into the end. Let, let, me, let me summarize it like this. We think of our bodies as reflecting our hearts, right? I feel something, so my body does it. I feel like I need the toilet, so I do that. I feel a headache, so I do that. We think of the body as reflecting our hearts, but the Bible says the body affects as well as reflects our heart. It affects as well as reflects our heart. You know, C.S. Lewis puts it like this. This is him writing in the screw tape letters. Um, so here he's talking as the devil. I should make that clear, otherwise the rest will be extremely confusing. Um, this is C.S. Lewis imagining what the devil thinks about how to attack our faith. Here's what he says. Perhaps you can encourage the Christian to aim at something entirely spontaneous, inward, informal, and unregularized, a vaguely devotional mood, right? Wait for the feeling. In which real concentration of will and intelligence have no part. Isn't that interesting? I remember this quote after I wrote this, but it matches up so much with this psalm. At the very least, perhaps we can persuade the Christian the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers. Okay, this is not a charismatic worship leader writing. This is C.S. Lewis, right? 
We can persuade them the bodily position makes no difference to their prayers because they constantly forget what you must always remember. They are animals, and whatever their bodies do affects their souls. It's funny how mortals always picture us putting things into their minds, but in reality, our best work is done by keeping the things of God out. And here we come again to that that decision about being passive or being active in worship because the heart is primary. The heart is primary. There's no point us doing this stuff, finding out what it looks like if there's nothing in our heart that loves the Lord. And yet, when we chuck the body away, we chuck away the primary tool the Lord has given us to stir that which is most important, our heart. So we look around and we, we see people who look like they're experiencing or feeling some vaguely devotional mood that we are not. And we think, well, I don't feel that, so... What can I do? The temptation to be passive in worship. But now we say, I'm going to be active with the spirit of David. The Lord is here whether I feel it or not. And even if I don't feel a jot for the rest of the service, he is here. So I'm going to give him my body. And maybe, just maybe, that will stir my heart to give him some of my emotions too. A couple of caveats real quick because I have to say these. The first is that this looks different for everyone. This looks different for everyone. It's not going to look the same for you to worship the Lord with your body as it is for me. Because, like I said, when we get saved, we keep our personalities. Some people dance before the Lord like David. And then there is me. And sometimes what it looks like for me at the start of a service is if I sit with my hands out, not feeling a thing, and say, Lord, I believe you're here. And I believe that you want to reveal yourself to me. So I'm going to do this. Not because it's reflecting what I feel in my heart, but because it's going to affect it perhaps and because it's the truth but whether it looks like different for each of us it does look different to where we start it does look different to where we start and this is what I mean by saying we need to be discipled in how we worship the Lord we have to push through something sometimes that's self-consciousness sometimes that's fear sometimes it's just coming in feeling apathetic like David did we go on a journey of finding out what it looks like for me not for anyone else but for me to give the Lord my body. And secondly, this stuff is only helpful when we want to feel, but we don't feel, or we feel something else. It's not helpful if there's nothing behind it. We just put on a show, blend in, raise up. That's not helpful to the Lord, is it? We don't want to be doing that. What we want to be doing is finding our way. So to finish, here's how it works for me. I will come in here in the morning, often here with my guitar. This is a secret. Don't tell anyone, but sometimes I don't feel like worshiping the Lord. I am not overawed with his presence. What I feel is just give me a coffee and tell me that God exists. That's my place that I come in. So what I do by starting is I put my hands out and I say, Lord, I do believe you're here. I believe that. That's the truth. And I believe, therefore, your Holy Spirit wants to partner with me in revealing things to me about you. But even if I don't feel a thing, I'm going to keep worshipping you because it's not about my feelings, it's about what I believe. So I'll put my hands out, not because he's driving me to do that, it's just because of what I believe. Then perhaps after we sing a chorus or two, I'll raise my hands, but it might not be because God is compelling me to raise my hands, reflecting what I feel. It's because I'm declaring his goodness and I want to give him my hands. Probably looks different for you, but here's what it looks like for me. Lord, have it. You are worthy of it all. You are greater. My God is greater still perhaps feeling nothing. Maybe, maybe a couple of songs later when I look out at some of you guys as I lead and I know the stories of you and your walk with God in your life and you encourage me to worship, 
Maybe as I begin to recall the benefits of God as we sing about them, chew them over. Maybe by song three or four, I raise my hands because I feel the joy of the Lord. And it's reflecting, reflecting my heart. But also sometimes it's affecting. Let me finish with a testimony. Sums it up. This is a friend of mine here today. She says, 2009, I was a serial dater. My relationships tended to replace God. I started looking for a church and settled at one, only to realize the only reason I was going was because I fancied a boy there. Not me, I hasten to add. Eventually, I found myself here at HT, and I always remember wanting to be one of those people who worship with their hands. They looked like they really knew God, and I wanted some of that. But I never had the confidence to. It wouldn't have been an act for her to raise a hand. She just, there was a barrier. She just felt fearful, right? I was embarrassed and felt unworthy to. Forgotten the benefits? He doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. But in that moment, I said, right, Lord, this is me choosing you, prodding herself. Choosing only you. And I remember slowly lifting my hands up, terrified, thinking everyone would notice me doing just that. But obviously no one did. So now I'm telling everyone, so everyone's going to notice. Sorry. Sorry about that. But as soon as my hands were up, I felt completely struck with a joy like no other. I praised God like I never had before. I remember thinking, if I never find my happily ever after, that's okay because I have God. Isn't that great? The body stirring the heart. The mind stirring the heart. The will stirring the heart. Should we stand together? We're going to do a bit of this now. Um, and I want to say, if you cannot read the Bible and the lives of the saints and think that our response emotionally is a robotic thing. It's not, is it? Um, and we read some of the lives of the great saints who, who feel so low and empty and they don't know why. And they find a place to meet with the Lord. And they don't always feel on top of the world. Sometimes it's a painful thing. Sometimes it's just clinging on and they don't feel a thing. But I want to say to you that today, it's not about saying that's wrong. Really what that's about saying, if you're here today, is well done. What you have done is so precious to God so much more precious than if you came in here feeling on top of the world. And that's why we have these amazing examples of scripture who feel just like you and pressed through and kept in the presence of God, however it felt. Well done. Well done. So here's what we're going to do now. I wonder